at 8 to 10 p.m. Flipping conventional wisdom on its head. Songes on SAFM. When the AU concluded its 34th summit two weeks ago, the continental body sharply rebuked Israel over its continued violations of international law as the occupation of Palestine enters its 54th year. Further, the AU called on its members to refrain from any actions that undermine international legal status of East Jerusalem as the capital of the future Palestinian Authority, particularly moving their embassies to Jerusalem. In 2013, the AU granted Palestine non-member observer status. Malawi, under Lazarus Chakwera's administration, announced its intention to establish Malawi's embassy in Jerusalem last year. In December 2017, the AU rejected Donald Trump's recognition of Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. Two weeks later, at the UN General Assembly, 128 countries voted in favor of a resolution declaring Washington's Jerusalem position null and void. However, Rwanda, Cameroon, South Sudan, Benin, Uganda, Malawi, Lesotho and Equatorial Guinea abstained from voting. Togo voted against the resolution. So the question is, what is and what should be? Africa's position in relation to the Middle Eastern crisis, really, can only be called that, between Israel and Palestine. Perhaps we should even start from home, South Africa's position on the matter. Good evening, then, Ms. Suraya Dadu. Hi, Songezo, and hi, Tei. Thank you very much for having me tonight. President Mandela met whoever he wanted to meet, wherever he wanted to meet that person, whenever he met with the Dalai Lama, this despite what China's position in relation to the Dalai Lama was. He met with Yasser Arafat. He met even with Gaddafi as well as Castro. These were all names that the United States certainly found as persona non grata. South Africa hasn't been as obvious in being open and friendly with its friends since. What then do we make of the question, particularly on Palestine? Well, I, th- I think it's great that you started at home. Uh, in terms of South Africa's uh, uh, position and what its stance has been on Palestine, I mean, there's no question that uh, a democratic South Africa um, and people who are now heading our democracy have a long-standing relationship with the Palestine Liberation Organization, uh, with Yasser Arafat, with the Palestinian people, and they were very supportive of the need for Palestinians to have their own state and called on very strongly for Israel to end its occupation. Um, And that has been a a, a consistent stance that the government has taken, pro-94 as well. Um, I think what I find rather disturbing is that particularly in the last 10 to 15 years, uh, members of the ANC, for instance, have increasingly used the word apartheid describe what Israel is doing to the Palestinians. And so it is rather worrying that uh, an ANC-led government in South Africa would continue to have relations with another government that it has labeled apartheid. Um, After all, I mean, we called on the world to boycott, divest, and sanction uh, apartheid South Africa. And so it should only be right then that a democratic South Africa would then call on the world to also not have relations with Israel. And, of course, South Africa itself, I believe, shouldn't be having any relations with Israel. Mr. Talani, are you there? Uh, yes. Um, I just wanted to check uh, with uh, Surya. 
uh, increasingly uh, countries in the Middle East uh, are forming and uh, re-establishing the relationship with Israel. Uh, now, within this context, what are the kind of the things that you think should happen uh, in order to be able to allow a situation where the Palestinian uh, can enjoy and enjoy their freedom like all other uh, nations in the world. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting that you bring up um, the normalization agreements and uh, what Donald Trump called peace agreements between uh, Israel and countries like the United Arab Emirates and Bahrain. Um, because Israel doesn't occupy the United Arab Emirates or Bahrain. Um, it's never had any conflict. It, uh, it doesn't occupy those countries, and there's never been too many problems in terms of its relationship uh, with those countries. It's, it's had covert relations with them for decades uh, in terms of intelligence, weapons, trade, you name it. The, Israel and the, the larger Middle East uh, don't really have any conflict. Um, peace can only come about if Israel ends its occupation and it makes peace with the Palestinians. Um, I don't think that it solves anything uh, within the larger Palestine-Israel occupation issue uh, by making peace with other people that you aren't in, in conflict with. Um, and uh, to a large degree, I mean, those normalization agreements as well were sort of foisted um, and uh, almost forced upon by Donald Trump because he had made Israel a cornerstone of his international relations and foreign policies. Um, normalizing relations with Israel uh, was a condition of many uh, other foreign uh, affairs agreements. For instance, the Kenya Free Trade Agreement with the U.S. even included a clause that Kenya would fight boycott, divestment, and sanctions campaigns in Kenya. Um, so, it, it, uh, you know, those normalization or so-called peace agreements, I don't think they do anything in terms of uh, ending the occupation. Uh, and they, 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 I, I don't believe that there, there was any benefit that came out of it. I, I do want to probe this BDS position that many states would or would not take. That is not exactly possible without considering questions of international diplomacy and international relations because to boycott to divest and or to sanction israel would have far-reaching consequences for that nation insofar as it relates to friends of israel and certainly in the last administration israel were in the same bed as the united states which culminated in the establishment of the U.S. Embassy in Jerusalem, a very disputed territory there. So many African countries in the context of this conversation would be hamstrung to come out as frankly and as boldly in the rebuke of the state of Israel's actions in the Middle East. That's why, for instance, the Rwandas and the Equatorial Guineas didn't want to express an opinion. Probably they would, but it just was a question of saving themselves. Togo altogether counted their chances in relation to everything else and simply said, we vote against the resolution. What are those issues then that prevent the free expression in real terms? I mean, what is it that these nations will lose if they vote to the conscious and nothing else? Um, to illustrate, uh, uh, to give you a very practical example of what happens 
when African countries do sometimes vote very honestly uh, at the United Nations. Um, in 2016, there was um, a Un- United Nations Security Council resolution on settlements, um, and it was a resolution that was co-sponsored by Senegal. Um, and Angola, for example, was one of the countries that supported that uh, resolution. And it, it uh, affirmed the illegality of Israeli settlements in the West Bank and East Jerusalem. Um, a few months later, uh, Israeli aid in uh, Angola and uh, uh, Israeli aid in Senegal were withdrawn. Now, when I talk about aid, uh, it would be mainly within the realm of uh, agricultural technology, water technology, farming, that kind of thing. All the Israeli projects were uh, withdrawn from those countries, and uh, Israel's ambassador in Senegal was recalled. So African countries particularly, uh, in the last few years, they have been on the receiving end of what I call Israel's very aggressive diplomatic offensive. Uh, It's an attempt to buy support, almost, uh, for its uh, uh, occupation, particularly at the UN. So what we've seen, especially from 2016, is uh, Benjamin Netanyahu meeting many African countries. He was the first uh, non-ECOWAS member to address the, the West African summit, um, he's been to Kenya, he's been to Ethiopia, uh, he's been all through the, the continent in the last four years. Um, and really what, what you see is an attempt to buy support uh, and by off- Israel offering aid, offering technology, we will help you solve issues of water scarcity, food scarcity, terrorism. Uh, we will help you with your most pressing problems but there is a diplomatic repayment. And in terms of the diplomatic repayment, what we ask is that you just look the other way when it comes to UN resolutions. Uh, Do not support resolutions that are critical of the Israeli occupation. And I think uh, we've been seeing uh, a few more abstentions uh, in the last few years. So many, uh, quite rightly, as you say, Many African countries do have uh, material losses that they might suffer if they were to incur the wrath of of the Israelis, as Senegal and Angola found out when they were in support of a a resolution calling out the illegality of settlements. Uh, Surya, if I could uh, ask, uh, you indicated at the beginning um, your dismay about uh, South Africa's ambivalence uh, towards Israel. Uh, what would you attribute this ambivalence to? Um, it is a puzzling ambivalence. I mean, wh- what we have seen is a, um, a lot of uh, back and forth and perhaps foot dragging. Um, it, it's also a common knowledge that for the last two years, at least, uh, South Africa is in the process of downgrading its embassy in Tel Aviv. Uh, so the ambassador came back, but no ambassador was sent to replace him. Um, and I think to, to some extent, 
this foot dragging can also be attributed to certain members within the ANC perhaps uh, not wanting to break ties, whether it's a matter of business interests, whether it's a matter of political interests, uh, that is is only uh, what people can speculate. I don't have uh, any access to inside information, but just from the outside, it seems that there are some members of the ruling party and some members uh, within DIRCO itself, within the Department of International Relations and Cooperation, who've been very reluctant to to cut ties with Israel and to, I think, send a very strong message to the rest of Africa and to the international community that, you know, we won't have ties. And uh, that's rather unfortunate because uh, while South Africa may not be an economic uh, uh, powerhouse and an economic heavyweight, we certainly are very much uh, uh, a political one, and uh, our words matter and our actions matter. And uh, I think it would send a very strong moral message as well that a country that was essentially liberated by BDS uh, is now doing the same thing to earn the liberation of another country. Uh, But what would you say are our interests as South Africa in Israel uh, if, uh, as a result of uh, whatever uh, situation that we find ourselves in, uh, we end up, uh, uh, you know, uh, taking the kind of the positions that we, we have. I know that uh, this would be speculation, mm-hmm. uh, but perhaps it would be able to assist us in terms of uh, having an understanding uh, of this uh, ambivalence. Yeah, it is, it is an odd situation because Israel isn't one of our very prominent trading partners. Um, it, uh, I don't have the exact figures on me, but... The, the trade and uh, uh, investment between the two countries is, is negligible at best. So it and and these are issues that that were discussed and uh, that were sort of fleshed out, uh, if I remember correctly, during the NC conference in 2017 uh, at NASDAQ, where the the ruling party made uh, the decision to down you know call on South Africa to downgrade the embassy in Israel. Um, And these were some of the arguments. I mean, the pro-Israel lobby uh, 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 put out arguments that uh, trade would be uh, uh, disrupted, but it's a very small volume of trade uh, in comparison to other countries. Uh, That tourism would be um, uh, disrupted, but again, people said that you didn't necessarily have to have a fully-fledged embassy. You could just have a consulate offering consular services for people to move. So uh, it, it, it really does remain one of those odd things that I simply don't understand. Uh, given our political background, given our historical background, uh, given the fact that we certainly understand what the power of uh, not ha- withdrawing uh, your representation of boycott sanctions, the power of what that can achieve, um, and yet South Africa has still not chosen to fully embrace that. On, on, on that point, I mean, in 2016, May of that year, around African Africa Day, President Zuma hosted, now moving towards Palestine, Mahmoud Abbas on a working visit to strengthen socio-political ties, trade and economic mm-hmm. relations and all of that. What would, in your view, then be, 
how Palestine views South Africa now, given the fact that when the shoe was on the other foot, as it were, mm. the ANC in the underground did get material support from Yasser Arafat, the sort of support that exposed Palestine, that exposed Arafat in particular, the many assassination attempts on his life even, for associating to the extent that he had with what was then referred to as a terrorist organization in South Africa. Of course, history would have vindicated him. How would the South African response to the question that surrounds Israel-Palestine, how, how would the history pages read in terms of how South Africa is responding or not? Uh, I'm really following up on that ambivalence question. Um, you know, d despite the what I had termed foot-dragging, I think uh, relations between the PLO um, and the ANC, the PLO and the government of South Africa, um, uh, South Africa remains one of Palestine's most outspoken, loyal allies, um, even more so than some Middle Eastern countries. Um, and uh, it is a, a, a relationship that uh, remains just so strong as it was pre-94 even. So I think the ambivalence and, and the foot dragging, in my opinion, hasn't uh, affected the relationship between Palestinian uh, political movements and the ANC and also the Department of International Relations and Cooperation. I mean, uh, the, uh, what Pretoria has done, even uh, at this stage, it remains symbolic, the downgrading of the embassy. But that certainly is a step in the right direction. And Palestinians are absolutely uh, appreciative and deeply grateful for, for that solidarity especially at a time when there are so many other issues dominating the political agenda of the world. Um, and Palestine still has, has remained such an important uh, fixture, and, and, and there's still been that consistent solidarity and consistent support for the Palestinian cause. Um, and it's something that I think even President Cyril Ramaphosa, when he headed the African Union, it was something that he took with him, uh, Naledi Pando as well, it was something that she had made sure she had said Palestine will be one of the issues that we will raise and we will ensure that when we leave the African Union, it will be highlighted as well. And, and, and they have been true to, to their word on that because the statement that came out two weeks ago certainly looked to me like uh, it had a lot of South Africa's fingerprints on it in terms of its crafting, in terms of the way that it was grounded in international law. So... Uh, the Palestinians themselves, uh, you know, are, are very uh, supportive. They're very happy with with the kind of uh, words, with the with the gestures that come out of it. But I think Palestine solidarity activists would probably uh, tell you that uh, words are nice, but if they're accompanied by concrete actions, mm, that mm, would mm. be better. Yeah. Well. This is an interesting conversation. I, I, I really think this is something worth engaging because, I mean, there are some deep interests here, business interests to which you've alluded. I'm not going to speculate, but I think I know exactly where that is going and what could be influencing, if you like. The word has been prevailing as the ambivalence of those potentially 
power brokers within the ruling elite in this country. Let's move on. Musureya Dadu, thank you so much for your time. I really am very much behind. Calling on African states on Palestine, that was the African narrative co-hosted by myself, Songa Zamabekwe, and Dadetzelani. And of course, in Dadetzelani, you will have the final say in all of this. How was the experience? What have you taken away from this? I mean, that was as glowing a compliment as you would have been paid by Brad at the top of this particular segment in terms of how you've done tonight. Thank you very much. I think I must express my appreciation to to you and SAFM for having given me this platform. Um, like uh, many <laughs> African dictators, now I don't have an appetite to leave this platform. I wish I could remember. <laughs> but I sincerely appreciate that uh, every uh, second that I spent on the show and um, you know, hopefully uh, one of the good days again, I'll come back. Certainly. One thing that I can make sure that you bear in mind, don't listen to your own good press. In that way, you will avoid the very patterns of African dictators. Don't listen to your own good press and you'll be fine. Anthony David, (laughs) I can't write left-handed. That is the song you chose. We will play out with it as we thank you for honoring this platform as you have and doing it the kind of justice as you have given it, given the platform's response tonight. Thank you, Mr. Terizalani. Thank you.